Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask if you would today to take your Bibles and open with me to two passages of Scripture. And uh, the first I'm going to ask you to turn to, hold your place there with a pen or a sheet of paper or, uh, or your neighbor's finger, I'm not sure, and then turn over to the other. But ask me, I want to ask you first to turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to get there in just a little while, and then to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Matthew 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, if you're new to church or new to the Scriptures, uh, or maybe it was just raining when you came in and you forgot your Bible outside, the the words are going to be here on the screen in just a moment to make it easy. But Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As we open God's Word this morning here on Mother's Day, I was reminded of an old illustration this morning as I was driving in uh, here to, the, to be a part of the worship service. As the illustration was told of a, a little boy who was in a play at his church. And he was so excited to be a part of this children's play. And he was excited because not only was it the day of the play, but he was having the incredible honor of playing the role of Jesus in the little children's play at church. And so he got to church and he was excited. He got in his costume, got on his sandals and his, his white robe and everything was good to go. And he, he got about halfway through the play and he was doing so good, remembering his lines and having good facial expressions and speaking clearly. Everything was great until that time came when he forgot the next line. If you've ever been in a play, you know that's not what you want to do, but that's where he was. He forgot the next line. And so he kind of looked around the, the sanctuary that day trying to remember what it was, and he just could not recall what the next line was. Of course, his mother was on the front row so that she could get good photos that day. And so he looked down at her, and she mouthed the phrase, but he could not understand, just like you couldn't understand what in the world I was trying to say. And so he was confused, and he scratched his head. And so his mother spoke out loud. She said, I am the light of the world. And the little boy looked with excitement and assurance and confidence and then said out loud, my mother is the light of the world. Well, I am so thankful that many of you moms are a bright light in this world for sure. But I'm also reminded this morning that every child of God, every person who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, to save their soul and change their life, every Christian is called to be a light in the world. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, this word of instruction, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, please understand this morning, that does not mean that you can do good works and you can do enough good things in your life to earn God's salvation. It would not be called grace if we could earn it. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith and not of works so that none of us will boast. We are saved the very moment we believe in Jesus and we confess him to be the Lord of our life. But one of the primary evidences of that being true in our life is that our life will be changed and now our works will be good works that are given for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. Jesus calls every believer to shine his light in the world around us. But it doesn't take us long in the Christian life to quickly discover that there are some things that can hinder us from shining bright for Jesus. 
While it is our calling clearly to shine the light bright for Jesus, there are many things that rob us and hinder us from effectively doing just that. In fact, I would suggest to us this morning from scripture that there are many things that hinder us from experiencing the abundant victorious life that Christ has called us to. There are many people who profess faith in Christ and yet they aren't living in victory today. There are many people who say, yes, I believed in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but they're instead living their life in defeat and discouragement. They're living their life hindered from the life that God has called them to. And I believe over the course of this series, beginning last week and then again today, we begin to identify several of the things that will hinder us from living the victorious life of Christ that God has called us to. They are things that will hinder us from living well for the Lord. They're things that will hinder us from shining a light for Jesus. The Apostle Paul understood this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, as he was writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, and here's what he said to them. He said, you were running well. You were doing well. You were living for the Lord. You were believing in him. You were living the victorious life of Christ, but something happened. Something changed that. You're not living that way anymore. So he asked the question, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, I don't know who it might be, but I do want us to examine in our life some of the what's. What are some of the things that will hinder us from living the life that God has called us to do? And as we open God's word today in 1 Corinthians 1 and Matthew 5, we begin to discover the hindrance of what I'm calling the hindrance of division. The hindrance of division. Over and over again throughout God's word, we see that God wants believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus, to be unified. In fact, listen to what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says this, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of what? Say that out loud with me. The perfect bond of Unity. That's exactly right. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. As Paul was writing to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, here's what Paul said. He said, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. In fact, God so greatly wants us to be unified that years and years before this, God spoke through David in Psalm 133 verse 1 to summarize what God sees when he sees us being unified. He said in Psalm 133 verse 1, behold, how good and how pleasant, how beautiful this is to God, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Maybe you're here this morning, you would say, Pastor, I understand the importance of unity. But how is that even possible? How is that possible in 2019? I mean, Pastor, look around the building for just a moment. We get all kinds of personalities and all kinds of likes and preferences and dislikes. How is it possible for us to have unity this morning? Well, I believe it is impossible in and of ourselves. But when the Lord Jesus Christ is in control of our lives, and we're letting you in our text this morning, the hindrance of division. I want to ask you this morning, if you're able to stand to your word, would you uh, stand to your feet? Would you stand for the reading of God's word and stand for your word too, okay? 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. The Apostle Paul's writing and he says this. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there for just a moment. Paul is reminding them that they are family because of Jesus. They are brothers and sisters belonging to the Lord Jesus. And he goes on. That you all agree and that there be no, what's the next word? Divisions among you. But that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, which means Simon Peter, and I am of Christ. But then he asks an interesting question. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In fact, he explains, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. I thank you for that. I praise you knowing that this is your word. God, I pray today that through it, you would speak to our hearts and lives. God, where there are boundaries and where there are barriers, I pray that you would destroy them. Speak into our innermost being. And God, I pray that as you do, we would receive it and that we would respond with faith, surrender, and obedience. We pray all of this for your namesake and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. you. may be seated this morning. The hindrance of division. You know, this morning as we studied this topic together, unfortunately, there are many, many, many passages of Scripture that we could have studied and we could have read in the process of studying this topic of, of being divided and having conflicts amidst one another. The reason why there are so many passages of Scripture, frankly, is because all throughout the Bible, we see mankind dealing with the struggle, dealing with these conflicts, dealing with these battles that take place. Of course, Scripture is the authority on every single subject in life. But the truth is, we don't even have to read Scripture to understand the impact and the influence that division can have in our lives. In fact, I imagine this morning that you can probably examine your own life and think about your own relationships or even think of the relationships of people that you've had throughout various seasons of life. And we sadly can easily relate to the fact that division causes all sorts of problems and issues in our life. We've probably, many of us have lived long enough where we have seen the effects that division has on a marriage or the effects that division will have on a family, even an extended family along the way. We probably can open our eyes to the culture around us and see the ways that division and conflict can affect a community, uh, a business organization. We've seen how division can impact even a political party or, or the president's staff itself. And sadly, even when you look at the state of the church, the big C, the body of Christ church in the world today, we begin to quickly come to the conclusion that division certainly causes all sorts of chaos and confusion and calamity. It causes all sorts of problems even still today. 
The letter of 1 Corinthians, as Paul begins to write, starts off with really kind of a word of promise and a word of hope. When you read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it seems like the Apostle Paul, the great missionary who had been responsible for ministering, of course, at the church at Corinth, this sounds like a letter from a pastor to his beloved congregation. He starts off the first nine verses reminding them of how they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he speaks words of comfort and encouragement, words of great assurance, if you will. But from verses 10 through the rest of the book, we begin to realize the true motivation for Paul's writing. Unfortunately, the church at Corinth faced not just a few divisions, they faced division at every corner they turned. In fact, when you begin to read through the letter of 1 Corinthians, you begin to see that over and over and over again, Paul had to address another area of division and another conflict and another area of disunity and another problem that was coming up. Maybe you feel like that today in your own life. That's where Paul was. The church at Corinth sat in the city of Corinth. Corinth at that time was one of the most wicked cities of the Roman world at that time. In fact, uh, the, the name Corinthianize was a word that was often used to describe the most pagan of pagans in that day. And so there in the city of Corinth, frankly, the city had a lot of wealth and they had a lot of luxury. And even in that day, by their standards, they had a lot of technologies. And if it was new and cool and hip and in, Corinth, Corinth had it. And this type of attitude infiltrated even the church at Corinth. This idea of luxury and this idea of uh, technology and this idea of being in a place of plenty led them, even in the church, to live this life thinking, we can do whatever we want to do. Whatever we want, we can have it. Whatever we want to experience, we can do. However I feel about it is right. I can do what is right in my own eyes. What's right for me is right, period. And that type of mentality began to infiltrate even the church in the city of Corinth. And it is in that context then that the Apostle Paul begins to speak and he begins to address the way that division hinders us in the body of Christ. So this morning in our time together, I want us to make two observations from Scripture. The first thing I want us to see is the cause of divisions. And then secondly, we'll see the cure for divisions, the cause and then the cure. Have you ever thought about the root cause of conflicts and division. Somebody say, oh yeah, I think about it all the time. It's the other person's fault. That's where they come from, right? Uh, somebody would say, well, pastor, that's easy. I know where conflicts and divisions come from. It's all the devil's fault. It all comes from him. And the truth be told, Satan certainly has a part in all those things, but I'm convinced that we give him more credit than probably he deserves because the truth is we make it easy for him. I'm reminded of the illustration of a little girl one day who got in trouble for being mean to her little brother. And so her mother asked her, sweetie, why did you do this to your brother? And she used the cop out, the devil made me. Just make sure you're awake this morning. The devil made me do it. And so she corrected her little girl and said, the devil didn't make you do that. Don't do that again. Be sweet to your brother. And all was good for about two hours. Two hours later, she heard her son, her baby, this, her little baby boy in another bedroom crying out loud. The mother came running, and when she came running, she saw her daughter sitting there with a grin on her face while her little brother was crying and in terror. And so she asked the little girl, honey, what happened? She said, well, mommy, I called him a bad name. I pinched him, and then I stole his candy. And the mama said, well, let me guess. The devil made you do it. She said, well, not exactly. She said, the devil made me pinch him and call him a bad name, but stealing his candy was my idea. 
Isn't that like us sometimes though? Like we, like, yeah, there's temptation that comes and yes, the enemy's trying to get us to do things that we shouldn't. But the reality is even in our own flesh, even in our own heart and even our own desires, we certainly make it easy for him. So what are the cause of divisions? Don't just give the devil the blame for it. Let's look even within our own hearts and lives. How do we contribute to the situation? I believe in 1 Corinthians, we see four ways, four causes of division and conflict. First thing I want you to see this morning is this. The cause of division number one is this. Division occurs when we are following our own passions. When we are following our own passions. We see pretty quickly in verse 10 that there were divisions and there were issues that were going on in the church at Corinth. But then in the very next verse, we see the extent of these divisions. Verse 11, Paul says, I have been informed concerning you that there are quarrels among you. That word quarrels literally means there are contentions, there are rivalries, and there are arguments that's going on. In fact, you get the impression, even in the context of this church at Corinth, reminding us that believers, it's not that we are, we are safe from this. It's not that we are void of this. Every single one of us is capable of experiencing this division. And the reason why is because of what we're about to see. Why do we have these conflicts and these rivalries and these arguments that often go back and forth? These words are describing the aggressive expressions that are given as a result of the divisions that they're experiencing. Why do we have them? Listen to James chapter 4, verse 1, as God answers the question. Listen to the verbiage even, just to understand the same type of phrase as we're seeing in, 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 here in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 1. The Bible says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And then he answers it. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? What does that mean? James is referring to the parts of your body as your members. And what James is saying is, is that every single one of us have certain passions and certain desires, certain fleshly wants, certain fleshly things that are our will, if you will, that if we allow to control us, it will lead us to all sorts of conflict. When we feed our selfish desires, James is saying, it will lead us to wrong actions and ultimately to dangerous results. Listen to James chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. James said it this way. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Some would say, oh, but pastor Christians would never act this way. I mean, this, this is the church. Absolutely. But that does not mean that we are immune to the battles and the struggles that we have even in our own flesh. Here at the church at Corinth, every chapter you had turned to, every topic just about that you can imagine came up as a point of conflict because they already had conflicts even in their own hearts and lives. The old statement said it well, those who are at war with themselves will be at war with everyone. And that's exactly what was happening at the church of Corinth. There's this battle that's going on in their own flesh, their own passions, or if you will, their own selfishness. They're following after that instead of the things of the Lord. And that's why when you read through the letter of Corinthians, you begin to see how Paul had to address uh, their stance on sexual sins and how some were looking at the liberty they had in Christ in a lazy way. And they were saying, oh, well, I've got freedom in Jesus to do whatever I want to do. And they were thinking about themselves and not about the good of others. 
There were some at the church at Corinth, frankly, who even took spiritual gifts, things that God gave to build up the body of Christ. And there were some that were saying, oh, look at the gifts that I have. My gifts are more important than yours. My gifts are better than yours. And it created this competition, this rivalry, this division that was taking place because they were each following after their own fleshly passions. Now, I'm convinced when we do the same, it will lead to division and to conflict. The second cause for conflict from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is this. Not only is it, does it happen when we are following after our own passions, but it also happens when we are focused on personalities and personal preferences. Division happens when we are focused on personalities and on personal preferences. Because of their own selfish passions, which were their motivation ultimately, even spiritual things became points of contention and conflict at the church of Corinth. I just mentioned to you how spiritual gifts, this is a gift from God, it became a point of conflict. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future resurrection of the body, which is a doctrinal truth, became a point of conflict and contention. Love, how we love one another, love being patient and kind and all these different things, even that became a topic of contention and conflict at the church at Corinth. But we see it listed in verse 12, by the way, that they were focused on their personalities and personal preference. Paul says this, there are some of you in the church that are saying, I'm of Paul. Others that are saying, I am of Apollos. Others of you that are saying, I am of Peter. And the fourth saying, I am of Christ. Now think of this for just a moment. In that church, they had experienced God do some incredible things in the past. And in essence, the people were basically describing in this statement, who they liked the best and who their allegiance was to. Now, remember Paul. Paul was the great missionary of the New Testament. In fact, I would argue today that probably the most effective missionary who's ever lived, right? And then the Bible tells us about a man by the name of Apollos. After Paul left Corinth, there was a man that became the pastor at the church in Corinth whose name was Apollos. And by the brief accounts that we have, he seemed to be a shepherd who had a heart for discipleship, helping the people to grow. And then we know, of course, about Simon Peter. Simon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved. The church was established and God was doing incredible things. And then, of course, we know the name of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again from the grave, providing a way for all men to be saved. Picture the scene in this moment. Paul is trying to minister to the church at Corinth to call them together to be unified, to be what God wants them to be, that, that it's a beautiful and pleasant thing when brothers dwell together in unity. And yet in the church, there were some that were saying, well, I, I'm with Paul. Paul is the, he's the great missionary and I like him the best. And others were saying, but not me. I like Pastor Apollos. I mean, he's my shepherd and he's helping me grow. Look what I've grown spiritually. I'm with Apollos. And others were saying, no, no, not me. I'm with Peter. I mean, Peter is bold. And he's, Peter had never even been to the city of Corinth. We have no record of Peter ever being to the city of Corinth. And yet, well, I'm with Peter. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. We wouldn't even be here today if it weren't for Peter. And then the super spiritual were saying, well, I'm with Jesus. He rose again. Beat that, suckers. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> there's this competition that's going on. And Paul is like, he's, he's like, guys, this is ridiculous. Based upon your personality and your personal preferences, you're deciding who your allegiance is to. And so he asked the question, has Christ been divided? The word for divided there, and I don't mean to be graphic here, is a word that also was translated as mutilated. He was saying, has Jesus literally been cut apart and torn apart? It was a graphic 
grotesque picture of what he was saying. No, Christ hasn't been that. And he's basically saying, spiritually speaking, the church has become that when you begin to focus on all these personality and personal preference issues. And then he goes on. Was I crucified for you? Paul asks. No. What about Pastor Apollos over here? Was he crucified for you? No. What about Peter? Was he? No. There's only one who willingly gave his life on the sins of the, for, the, for the sins of all the world. There's only one who willingly laid down his life on the cross who was crucified. There's only one who was raised again from the grave, proving that he is the acceptable gift and the payment for our sins. There's only one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And that one is Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's all about one person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So quit with all these petty squabbles, these personal preferences along the way. Could you imagine how ridiculous that would be here at Crosslink if we were to act that way? If we, God has blessed us with an incredible uh, team, a volunteer team, a deacon ministry, pastor's council, our pastoral staff, our, our, all of our staff. I mean, God has blessed us with an incredible. Could you imagine if we took sides as it relates to our pastoral staff? I mean, could you imagine if we came to church? Oh, well, I, I sure like Crosslink. You know, I, I like Pastor Matthew. I'm with him because he speaks, he speaks words all the time that start with the same letter. And I just think that's totally weird. I'm with him. Could you imagine if somebody said, well, not me. I'm with Pastor Michael. He's a Narnian nut. I'm all about that sci-fi guy, right? Could you imagine if somebody looked and said, well, not me. I'm with Pastor Marty. Pastor Marty is the PhD of the bunch. He's the most educated. I'm with him. Or could you imagine if somebody said, I'm I, not me. And I, I really, I'm with Pastor Terry. Pastor Terry loves Chick-fil-A and drives like a madman. I can relate to him. Could you imagine, oh, oh, no, I'm with Chris. He's the rookie in the bunch, and he's got the gift of sarcasm and love sports. I'm with that guy right there. Or could you imagine, oh, no, no, not me. I'm with Pastor Scott because he looks most like Jesus with his long hair. That's what I want to. <laughs> Ridiculous. And that's Paul's point. It's not about us. If you ever get to the point where you think it's about me, man, it's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus being the Lord. It's about Jesus being the Savior. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying what matters most is that you have believed in Jesus and that you're living your life for him. Not merely by what you claim, but by how you conduct yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says it this way. Therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve, listen to the word again, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen to this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Some of the pastor, I would ne that's just so silly. I would never allow my personal preferences to get in the way of what God is. I would never allow that to be the focus. Well, I have to say to you, I hope that's true and that's the case. But I will tell you, we as Christians can be some quirky bunches of people. And there's a long line of history through the centuries that would combat that claim that would never happen to me. I'm just telling you. We could load up in a bus right now and I could drive you to a church in Virginia 
And we could go there and I could tell you what God was doing at that church in amazing ways almost 10 years ago. And I will guarantee you there will be very few people there today. 10 years ago, they had a major church issue, an all-out conflict that took place over the amount of lights in the worship center. I mean, let that just really touch your heart and bless you because that really matters in eternity. Or we could bring up here on on Skype or something, get his face up here. We could call a pastor who called me three years ago as he's working through some situations because they were building a worship center. And and, uh, no, you can't make this stuff up. Literally, they were adding chairs to the building just like ours. And and he he did something that maybe wasn't the wisest move, but what he did is he put three different chairs out in the lobby and he said, please let us know which do you prefer. Everybody, the vast majority preferred the largest, widest chair that was there. Problem with that, though, is if they had gotten that chair, they would have reduced their seating capacity by 125 people. So they went with a chair that was a little bit smaller. And when that happened, there was a significant group within that church that said, no, 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 you're speaking against us. You knew what we wanted, and you did that. And it caused major, major issues over a chair. Oh, pastor, that would never be us. Sometimes it's the volume. Sometimes it's whether there's lyrics on the screen or the, or the old hymnals, whether the pastor wears jeans or wears a robe. Listen, all those things are about personal preference. Don't let those things get in the way of what God has called us to do. Which brings us to the third point. A third reason for conflict is not only because we are following our passions or we're focused on personalities and personal preferences, but ultimately for this reason. Division occurs when we are forgetting our purpose. Division occurs when we are forgetting our purpose. Paul asked the question, wait a second, guys, think about this for a moment. Was I crucified for you? No. Peter wasn't, Apollos wasn't. There's only one person who stands preeminent above them all, and that is Jesus. So then he makes a statement, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's only one who came, lived his life perfectly, died and rose again from the grave. And that one is Jesus. And he has commissioned us, he is saying, to go into all the world, to take the good news of the gospel. In fact, he told us to go into all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our purpose is to shine the light of Christ, to take the good news to every man, woman, boy, girl, every part of creation. Take the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Pastor, why is this important? It's important because Paul understood when the moment comes, you stop focusing on your mission and focusing on the calling, you begin to focus internally. And the more we focus internally, the more we begin to value and begin to raise up the significance of every small minor issue that we have. If we're not focused on the purpose and the mission, we become very inwardly focused. And I believe what God is saying here in this moment is, listen, there are people, while we're arguing and fighting about lights and chairs and all these different things that really don't amount to very much, there are still 2 billion people in the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't like the gray paint. I don't either. Get over it. It's about Jesus. Well, I, 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 man, that's just too many lights. I look into it every Sunday morning. It's about Jesus. In fact, I would imagine this morning by a simple poll, we could quickly realize 
the personality and preferences that we have. In fact, I would just guess that how many of you this morning, you enjoy, I mean, you need to say you enjoy, you really enjoy ice cream. Anybody? Oh, here's a simple survey this morning. Awesome. Very good. You're still with me. Some of you are ready to go get ice cream right after I say, God bless you, you're dismissed. Okay. That's not your Mother's Day gift today, but ice cream does sound good right now. All right. I know there's all kinds of flavors. Baskin Robbins seems to have a lot. That's not an endorsement, but I, I love some ice cream. Let's talk about three simple flavors. Vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate. How many of you, if you were getting an ice cream cone right now or a cup of ice cream and you had your option between the three and you had to pick one, how many of you would say, man, vanilla is the only way to go? I love some rich, creamy vanilla ice cream. By show of hands, how many of you would say, that's me? Very good. I, we're not, I'm not asking you to evaluate your personality. We're talking about ice cream, okay? Vanilla, okay, very good. Or how many of you would say, not me, Pastor, I love strawberry with, I mean, real strawberries in the midst. I love that sweet flavor. How many of you would say strawberry? Oh, there's the fruity bunch. All right, very good, awesome. And how many of you would say all these other people are pagans because chocolate is the only way to go? Anybody like that? Very good, very good. I had to confess vanilla would be mine. So, Pastor, what are you saying? We all have different likes. We all have different preferences. When Paul says, have the same mind, he's not saying you have to think the same things and like the same things. As much as I like vanilla, I'm probably not going to convince you chocolate lovers to convert to the right side, okay? And I'm probably not going to convince you, you, you strawberry lovers to, to come over as well. I mean, that's just not going to happen. When Paul's talking about having the same mind, he's talking about the gospel, it doesn't matter what flavor of ice cream you like. What matters is, do you believe in Jesus? Are you making Jesus known? Are you living him out to the world around you? What matters is that we have the same mind about the things that matter to God. If we're going to overcome conflict, we must do this by committing to share the gospel with others. But here's a biggie, but also showing the gospel to others. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he offers life eternal and life abundant to all who believe, we need to believe that in our heart and life. We need to share that good news with others, but we need to also live out the power of that in our life. Jesus said it this way in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Does that mean we never have disagreement? No. Does that mean that we like all the same things? No. But it does mean that we love one another in Christ. We value what God has brought us together to be unified in. And when it comes to those personal preference areas of ice cream, it's not that big of a deal. So why do we have conflicts? We have conflicts when we're focused on personalities and personal preferences. We have conflict when we forget our purpose. But fourthly, and it's kind of a summary of it. We have conflict when we are filled with pride. We have division when we're filled with pride. Paul goes on in verses 26 and following, and he says this. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, listen to this statement, let him who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. Why does Paul say this? There's a lot of doctrinal truth here, but here's the summary of why is Paul saying this. Paul's saying this because he knows that the true source of much of their division was the pride in their own hearts and lives. There were many that were there that were saying, but I have this knowledge. I know that my way is best. I know that I'm right about this. In fact, there were some that were even saying, look, look at my position in society. Look at my position in my job. I'm a person of influence. I am mighty. And there were even some that were saying, look how, look how good I am. I am so noble. And so therefore, the lens through which I see it is accurate and correct. And Paul's saying, wait a second. Wait, 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 time, time out, time out. There was no wisdom before you knew Jesus. You, you might have had street smarts, or you might have had some sort of common sense. You might have learned from your experiences, but you had no true knowledge and understanding until Jesus came into your life. You might be blessed in some position, and you might have some, some great degree, or you might be in a place of influence, but don't forget, that's only because the Lord has been with you, and the Lord has put you in that position. So let him who boasts... Not boasting himself, oh, I'm better than so-and-so. My way is right. I'm right about this. No, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, don't boast in yourselves. Don't put yourselves on a pedestal. Don't think you are better than others and put yourself before them. Instead, humble yourself. Humble yourself and boast instead in the Lord. Well, can you relate to these causes of conflict? Can you identify ways and places and areas in your own life where your flesh, fleshly passions have caused conflict? Have you recognized ways maybe that your own pride has helped further the distance, the wedge that's been created between you and someone else? Have you forgotten your purpose of sharing the gospel and showing it to others? Well, let's move on quickly. Matthew chapter five. Frankly, it's very sobering. And I have to honestly confess that if I really think about my own life and usually when conflicts occur and things come up, I can pretty quickly, you know, justify my actions. It's easy whenever you are in the midst of conflict to say, well, it's the other person, Lord. If they just hadn't done this, I'd be okay. God, if you just hadn't given us people, life would be so easy, you know. But the truth be told is if we open our hearts and ask God to examine us and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. More times than not, I find that the problem is not somebody else, it's within me. And even when the other person's action might have been the initial cause, it's often my response that's helped further escalate the division. So what do you do? How, how, do, you, how do you get past that? I mean. God's calling us to unity, but there's division and there's differences and all these different things. How do we get there? Matthew chapter 5. Interestingly enough, just a handful of verses after Jesus has told us to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 21 through 24. It says it this way. 
You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, I haven't said it, but I've thought it plenty of times, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, listen to the Lord's instructions. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. I gotta talk quickly, but Jesus gives us here four steps towards resolve, a cure, if you will, a reconciliation when there's been division. Now, Jesus gives us the story as he's teaching, giving the Sermon on the Mount of a man. He, it's his time to bring his offering. So he goes to the temple. He, he gets the idea that he believes in God. He loves God. He's going to worship God. So he goes to the temple and there he brings his gift. He likely waits in line for a period of time. And then finally the time comes, he gives his offering and he goes before the altar to pray and to worship God and to praise God for his many blessings, to, to seek God's grace and his mercy in his life. And as he doing so, suddenly he remembers something. In this moment of worship, he remembers that there is a division with someone. There is a wedge between him and someone else. The Bible describes it as a brother, and the word that's used there could have meant a literal brother, a fellow Jew, or just a close companion. Someone close to him has an offense against him. The context of this in verses 21 and 22 suggests to us that the man who's at the altar remembering this, the reason he remembers it is because he's remembering his own actions. He's remembering that he has said something, he has thought something, he has done something that calls an offense. It calls an issue. It calls the other person, the wounded party, to feel like there was something against him, if you will. So here's the man worshiping God, and suddenly he remembers what he has done and who he has done it against. What do you do? God says something very interesting. Four things. First thing he tells him to do is this. He says, get up. Get up from the altar. In fact, you get the impression that God's saying, I know it's your time to worship. I know that you've been waiting for a long time. I know that you've gone to great sacrifice to bring this offering to me, but I'm telling you right now, the division that you have with us other individual is so important. Right this moment, I want you to get up. In other words, God is in essence saying, this is powerful. God, does God want us to pray? Absolutely. Does God want us to bring our offering? Absolutely. Does God want us to praise him? Absolutely. But in this moment, the division is so specific that God says, I want you to stop praying. I want you to stop praising. I want you to stop giving the offering. I want you to get up. Not only does he say that, he says what? Get up and the next step, Go. I know there's a conflict. I know there's a division. I want you to get up and go. And somebody said, well, pastor, every time there's a conflict, I go because I can't handle it. I get up and I go. I leave the room. I separate as far as I can. I count to 100 and come back. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to get up and I want you to go to the person that you have sinned against and offended. 
Like a firefighter that's rushing into the flames that is destroying the home and destroying the property and that which is of value, God is saying, I want you to get up and I want you to go right into the flames that your actions have caused. That's in essence what God is saying. Get up and go. In fact, the word for go here suggests an intense, intentional effort where the person who has sinned, the person who has offended, the person who has done the wrong that's caused a distance, that they would be intentional to take the first step and to go and be responsible. Third thing, get up, go, and thirdly, seek to gain your brother. Verse 24, first be reconciled to your brother brother. We're to get up, we're to go to the person that we've sinned against, and the idea here is we are to seek reconciliation. In other words, we are to initiate reconciliation, whether ultimately, whether we think we're responsible or not, the bottom line is this. If we realize there's a division, we realize there's a separation that's occurred, there's a wedge between us and someone else, if we can identify how our actions have played a part in it, we should be the, take, the ones that take the first step to go to them to seek, to, to, to bring restoration and healing to that relationship. But I'm convinced in order for that to happen well, there's two things that must be present. There must be humility and there must be honesty. There must be humility and there must be honesty. There must be humility to acknowledge your need to confess, your need to seek understanding. This is not humility when you come and justify your actions. This is coming and you saying, I have been wrong. I have contributed to this. My attitude hasn't been right. My words weren't right. Whatever the case, there's humility, but there must also be honesty. Honesty to confess and to repent of the wrong. We're reminded in Psalm chapter 51, verses 16 and 17, as David is praying and getting right with God, he says, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, God, I know you will not deny And while David is speaking about being right with God, I would also suggest to us that having a broken heart and a contrite spirit and seeking reconciliation with others goes a long way towards that healing. Really does. When we come before another broken and convicted, repentant and honest over the things that we've brought to the situation, it goes a long way towards providing a place for grace restoration and healing to occur. But there must be honesty. Satan does everything he can to divide couples, to divide families, to divide even the church. So we must be faithful to seek to gain one another, to be reconciled to one another. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning, if God is putting someone in your heart and life, something in your heart and life that you know need to be addressed, need to be dealt with, I would encourage you, if you feel any sense of explanation of every, if you feel any sense of, well, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I shouldn't have to do that. If you feel any sense of making excuses, please understand it is likely the pride in your own heart that's causing you not to humble yourselves and be honest about what God's wanting you to do. We must gain our brother. Finally, what does God say? God says this. Once you've sought to restore relationship with your brother, come back and present your offering to me. In other words, Get right with me. 
We must do what God calls us to do. The other person may not receive it. They may not forgive. They may, they may choose to be bitter instead, but we must do our part to gain and restore the relationship. And once we've gone to them and once we've been honest and humble, once we've sought that restoration, God says, now do this. Now come back to the altar. Come back now and present your offering. Come back now and praise me. Now that you've sought to restore, now that you've sought to be in right relationship with others, now come and bring your offering to me. Don't stay gone. Come back and offer your praise and your prayer. So Pastor Wise, that's important. It's important because so often in conflict, Satan will use those moments and those situations to say, see, I told you all people are like that. Satan will use those moments and say, if you go back to the church, that's just going to happen again. Satan will use those moments and say, oh, you get restored now, that person's just going to hurt you again. Satan has used those moments to push us further and further and further away. Even this morning as I was preaching in the early service, my, my, suddenly as I was preaching that very point, God brought to mind a couple from Christiansburg who almost 10 years ago, the husband came to me. They were part of our church, and he said, Pastor, God's, God's leading us somewhere else. And I said, well, what's going on? And he began to explain how his wife had been offended by another lady in the church, and the other lady in the church had, had said she was sorry and she sought forgiveness, but his wife just could not forgive. Really, she would not forgive. So he said, we're leaving and going to another church. And I told him, I said, man, that grieves me. I hate to hear that. But until she forgives, this is going to be a pattern in your life. Over the next eight years, they found themselves in five different churches. And today they're not in church. They might be watching service somewhere from a living room. So, Pastor, why do you say that? I say that because there's been such an attack of the enemy. The enemy's saying, you, you don't, you go, you go, people are broken. If you go to that church, people are broken. The same thing's going to happen. I'll tell you what, people are broken. I am. You are. We all need God's help and his grace and his healing. And so what God is saying, listen, I want you to get up. I want you to go. I want you to seek to gain your brother and then come back to me. What's the point of all this? Please understand. Divisions are bound to occur in every relationship because we are very different. Divisions are bound to occur in every relationship because we have all fallen short of God's glory and we need his grace. It's not whether or not we will have conflict. We all will. It's how we handle the conflict that's important. If we handle it in a way that honors God according to his word, if we will address these areas of conflict with humility and with honesty and with the spirit of grace towards one another, God will use these very areas of conflict to be places of healing and he'll use them as areas in the future as strength so that we in the midst of our brokenness can minister to others and live out the power of the gospel. But please hear me. If we reject God's word, I don't want to deal with it. I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. If we harden our hearts and refuse to seek restoration, if we refuse to forgive, if we refuse to show the same grace to others that the Lord has shown to us, that I am telling you it will lead us to a place where we are no longer growing. It will rob us of joy. It will hinder our prayers. And ultimately, it will bring a reproach on the very name of Jesus Christ. The hindrance of division. So what about you this morning? Somebody say, Pastor, man, I came to church on Mother's Day to be encouraged. Well, my hope and prayer 
is that by being in a place of worship on Mother's Day, that God began to do a work of healing and restoration in your heart and in your life. This morning, I want to challenge you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the context of 1 Corinthians 1 and Matthew chapter 5 are all to people who have already believed in God, those who are following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And God says to you who are Christians, if you are there in that place of worship and you remember an offense, you remember the separation that's taken place because of your actions, get up and go. This morning, I challenge you and I encourage you I know you probably have lunch plans. I know you've got an agenda set for the day, but I challenge you with intentionality and with focus when you leave here today. If you need to make something right with someone to be restored, I mean, do it. Do it, do it, do it immediately. But secondly, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. Maybe you'd say, you know, pastor, I've never trusted in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. But you know, you don't have to be a Christian to understand the impact of division in our life and relationships. What I'm talking about in forgiveness by God is this simple reality. I can't forgive others the way that God has called me to unless I have first experienced the amazing grace that he offers in forgiving me of my sins. I can wish well for people and I can try to let go of some of the past hurts that have happened in my life, but there's no way that I can truly forgive them like God is calling me to unless I first have experienced that gift myself. So if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know for sure that your sins have been forgiven, you can. And the way that you experience that is by calling upon Jesus to save you. So this morning, I ask you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I ask you today, Will you do so today? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.